Welcome back to the Ways to Flourish podcast, where we discuss how to flourish through our challenges and elevate voices across William & Mary's campus. I'm Lindsay Heck. And I'm Jenny Heldendoller. And today we're joined once again by Dr. Kelly Crace. He is the Associate VP of Health and Wellness here on campus. Welcome back, Kelly. Thanks, Lindsay. Thanks, Jenny. It's good to be back. So we'll just launch right into it. We're here today to talk about authentic excellence for organizations because someone here has a new book out. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to talk a little bit about our, our work and our research in that area. So why creating flourishing cultures in organizations? What inspired your work to take this track? Yeah, this really kind of extended from our work with individuals when we were working on our, our life's work around flourishing and really how do we flourish as individuals? How do we move into this kind of deeper level of effectiveness? We, of course, found that there are very few individuals that are not a part of some group, part of some organization, a team, a family. And we became very fascinated with being able to kind of think about moving from flourishing as individuals to flourishing as organizations. How do people bring in their issues and work within a team in a healthy way? And how do we create flourishing cultures? So we're really fascinated to extend our work from individuals to groups. And this book is kind of an explanation of what we learned from that process. And something that you talk about is that culture, this and culture, as opposed to an or culture. And so could you explain the difference between those two? Yeah, it really gets at this aspect of fear-based tension reduction in the same way that we've talked before in previous episodes about fear-based excellence, where because of uncertainty in our lives about the things we care about, that kind of brings fear to the foreground. And if we don't know how to manage fear really well, we can kind of move into this process of either over-controlling or avoiding. That happens at the individual level. But we also know uncertainty exists in organizations. And so how does an organization play out that uncertainty? And in a lot of times, when that uncertainty, fear and anxiety or stress raises, the desire is to kind of reduce that tension. And one of the ways to reduce that tension is they'll kind of lock in on kind of a singular team dynamic. And as we know, teams and organizations are very rich. There's multiple dynamics going on in the midst of a group. And if we just kind of lock in on one singular dynamic, for instance, being competitive versus collaborative, do we want to be a competitive organization or more of a collaborative organization? Both of those dynamics exist within a, a team. But if all we're trying to do is reduce tension, then what we tend to do is kind of focus on one over the other. And sadly, what ends up happening is the one that is chosen is usually by individuals with the most power. People that either have social capital or social power or positional power as a leader, if that's where they lock in, then the rest of the individuals feel like they have less agency and feel less included in that group. And so that plays out in terms of getting in the way of flourishing. In the same way, as individuals, if we don't manage fear well, we kind of lock into either control or avoidance, over control and avoidance. Teams tend to lock into an or culture and they tend to focus on one of those singular dynamics at the expense of the gift of the other dynamic. Therefore, and cultures is what we're trying to create. Instead of tension reduction, how do we focus on tension management to where they can hold both? And if we can hold both of those dynamics, 
then you have a deeper level of effectiveness. And what we learned is it actually moves into this transformative, we call them transformative optimizers, but what it is is it, it creates this deeper dynamic in a team that really moves them into flourishing. And that's kind of what we focus on. We take some of these dialectical dynamics that seemingly oppose each other, and we take a chapter on each one and talk about how do we move beyond that. And I was flipping through some of the chapters in the book, and some of them make sense to me. Like some cultures can reconcile both personal and common values, or some things can be both hard and right. But how can we all be both stressed and well? Yeah, that's a that's a great one, and and also so relevant for our student population on campus as well, because we not only have to individually manage that, but how do we be healthy organizations with students so many times will get involved with organizations that speak to them, that speak to meaning, speak to their values. And yet, if we're going to do this well, how do we do this in a way that is productive, but at the same time, healthy for us? And so, so many times, like right now, the stressed and well, stressed versus well, if you get into that singular dynamic, then you either focus on being stressed and we have to perform all the time and we have to do our best and we have to reach our potential and you're just constant drive, drive, drive. That's that stress glorification dynamic at the expense of our wellness. Or if groups get together and say, no, we really need to focus on our wellness. We need to focus on being healthy. Sometimes they'll do that at the expense of engagement in things that are important to them to engage in but have stress associated with them. The and culture is being able to see how both are important, that stress is a function of caring. So we want people to be engaged in things they care about, but because of the uncertainty of that, they'll experience stress. And I can also be well and stressed at the same time. I can be intentional about entering my day with some stress, but I also know how to take care of myself. So my day may look like with my organization, are we engaged and what are we actually doing to make sure that we are focusing on our health and healthy self-care? And what we learned is flourishing organizations really move into that deeper level of engagement, and that's the heart of resilience. So the transformative optimizer is when you do stressed and well, we find that those teams move into this deeper state of resilience that can absorb a lot of ups and downs in a very healthy way. And another part of contributing to that team culture, that team and culture, is looking at our own life values. And so you work a lot with the Life Values Inventory. Could you tell us more about that resource? So part of our work in research in flourishing is we did find that value-centered thinking is an important part of flourishing. And at the time, many years ago, the way to assess values It was pretty culturally insensitive. It was highly gender-infused and gender-biased. And so we started over with an approach to assess values from a standpoint that was a little different. It was much more inclusive, and it was inclusive across generations and across cultures. But it's really designed to assess values differently. Instead of what is important to you, we ask, how does this actually guide your life? How often does taking care of my environment actually guide your life versus how important is taking care of my environment? So we developed an online assessment tool that an individual can go through and assess the values that matter to them so they can learn how to engage in them. Well, what we wanted to do then is develop a group values assessment, assess their group values culture. 
Now, in the past, the way that was typically done is most group values, most team values emanated from the leader. So whatever the leader's values were, it all trickled down to where those were the values of the organization, which often brought in a lot of judgment. Because if I didn't happen to ascribe to the leader's values, then I either had to hide it or over time I would leak that fact and it would cause people to feel less included. What we developed is a more inclusive way where individuals can assess their life values inventory and it goes into this aggregate where it creates the team's values to where everybody's individual values count. But for instance, if the three of us were in a team together, we would assess our individual values and then we would come up to see what the aggregate was of our most prominent values. That just leads to a greater level of feelings of inclusion and feelings of integrity because I can act on my values in this group. Are there certain values that would set a team up for success or a higher rate of productivity? Is there a best team dynamic or do we just celebrate that each team has its own? Yeah, that's such a great question. In fact, it's the most common question that we get around our research around values is, is there a predictive values profile for individual success or for team success? And we found that there's not. What we found is the secret in terms of this deeper level of effectiveness is how well do people feel like this organizational culture allows me to healthfully engage in my values. And so if we get a group aggregate instead of just the leader's values, Mm -hmm. if we get a group aggregate, there's more of a chance that you're going to be able to step into at least some of your values in that organization in a healthy way. And so what we learned is the most predictive factor related to organizational flourishing is to the degree that people feel like their values are understood and respected and can be acted on in a healthy way. And if you get a collective that can do that, that's what moves into that deeper level of flourishing. The nice thing about doing that group aggregate is we take them through exercises to where everybody learns the values of each other, but then what they come about is once they see the values culture, they can look at their values and say, okay, of this group values, What does healthy responsibility look like? What does healthy achievement look like? What does healthy concern for others look like? And it gives that team the agency to define that for themselves. So while we start with the life values inventory, the aggregate values, we then turn it over to them and say, so here's what this value says. Do you resonate with this term? Or when you think of this term with our team, I would probably call it this. I would name it this. And what does it look like healthy in your team? And what does it look like when it's unhealthy? I'll give you an example of our team in health and wellness when we did this several years ago. One of our high values was concern for others. But when we had a discussion about what does this look like when it's really healthy and what does it look like when it's not, we found that we had a lot of externalized compassion. In other words, we were very compassionate to those we served, which are our students but we weren't quite as compassionate with each other. We were focusing on our serving our students so much that we weren't checking in with each other enough. It wasn't until we had that discussion that we could see that and then be able to shift into how do we be a little more compassionate and attuned to each other and each other's health and wellness. 
So to start that journey of looking through our own life values and comparing the life values within our teams, how do we access that life values inventory? Yeah, fortunately, it's a part of an open educational resource where we have our research and our tools that are available for organizations and teams to do that. The website is lifevaluesinventory.org. It's all one word. But it's an open educational resource. It's not just limited to William & Mary. It's open to the general public. And it provides a guidance for individuals wanting to come in and use it for themselves or for team leaders that want to use it for their teams in any way as a group. They can access it in that way. And the nice thing about it is it holds their data. Group data and individual data is held in a secure way to where if I want to take my LVI today and then take it again next year, I can compare my results over time and look and see the values that are shifting based on my life experiences or that are holding or enduring over time. The nice thing that we love about that is it also provides practical strategies. So one of the things we tried to do in this book and in the open educational resource is not stay conceptual. It was really designed to give people the tools, the strategies of, like you mentioned, the stressed and well. Well, we not only talk about the value of holding both, but here's how you actually do it. If you're a team and you want to learn how do you do this, we take them through practical steps of actually accomplishing that. Are there any underrepresented values? I do wonder about that too, like across the board. Well, you know, what we'll find is when people do their group aggregate and they Mm -hmm. see, okay, here's the values culture of the team. Here are the team values. They may look at that and say, oh, wow, only two of my top values landed there. Mm. And what we talk about is, okay, how do we make sure that those values are expressed in that group? But where else can you make sure you get those other three values met? And so what we found is the goal for people's happiness and satisfaction within an organization is not that all of their values can get met there, but that they can be thoughtful about finding harmony among all of their other roles and among all my roles if I have a chance to act on my values. So, for instance, with the wellness ambassadors, if, for instance, I can get two of my values met there, then I feel satisfied if I can also get my other values met with another group or my other values met in my student role or that type of thing. It's really more about a work-life harmony that really presents that kind of satisfaction. So once we see that snapshot of our group values, there might be some values that you submitted personally that won't necessarily show up. That won't show up as high. Exactly. And that that's okay. If I can see that and know that, then Mm -hmm. I can say, okay, this group is not going to be my end all and be all if I'm going to be healthy because I have other things that I need to engage in that matter to me. And so that also gives you that aspect of, remember, we talk about depth over breadth of how many organizations you're a part of. Well, if it fulfills a lot of your values, this might be your group. Or you might find, you know, I might want to be a part of two or three groups that can meet Mm -hmm. different values. Mm -hmm. But that gives you that agency. You then know that and can make that decision. So what are some other examples of once we receive that information, how can we apply that knowledge in our working environment? Yeah, so once you have that information, it is about being intentional because we know that flourishing requires work. It requires an intentionality. The world is going to pull you into uncertainty and fear every day. If we can become more value-centered and healthy-focused, what you do is you kind of develop a little um, program for yourself and being able to look and see, all right, this is what healthy acting on my values looks like for this organization. Now that I know that, I want to make sure that I keep that in my intentionality so students may write that down. If, 
And then you develop kind of a plan, a wellness plan. And you keep that in mind in a loving way, not in a judgmental way where you're grading yourself every day as to how well I'm doing. But if I can keep that in my intentionality, you're more likely to step into that deeper level of effectiveness. And you're more likely to like that team and get more out of that team too. Yeah. And I know that we all want to be in productive working environments, obviously, but your level of productivity is not your measure of success in the group. And it can easily start to feel that way when we start to kind of focus on one dynamic over another. Mm -hmm. Like one of the dialectics we talk about in our chapters is productive and fulfilled. And if all we're focusing on is productive, then that's that or culture that really limits our level of what we can get from that team. And it's about being able to bring in both of how can we be productive and fulfilled? How can we look at engagement and meaning in a healthy way? One more question for you, Kelly. If someone were to be interested in learning more about authentic excellence for organizations and creating that and culture, where can they find your book? Uh, They can go on Amazon and find it. The nonprofit website also has a list of the books that we have and that are available to them. I encourage them to first go on the free resource because they may find everything they want and need from that free resource. But if they want to do a little deeper dive by looking at the book and they're kind enough and thoughtful enough to want to be interested in that, they can access it through however they like to buy their own books. It's through Taylor & Francis and Routledge Publications, but it's also available on Amazon. Amazing. Well, Kelly, thank you so much for these resources and for this talk. And thank you also to our sponsor, United Healthcare, for support of this podcast. Ways to Flourish is produced by Lindsay Heck, Calder Sprinkle, and myself, Jenny Helmendaller.